Home is a member of the Boing Boing Podcast Network. For more information, visit boingboingpodcasts.com. And to learn more about this show, visit homestories.la. That's where the show notes live. And also, if you go to the website and look at the top of the page, there's a new link that says mailing list. And that's where you can sign up for, wait for it, our new mailing list. You'll get notified right away as soon as new episodes are available. There'll be background information on the show and access to bonus content. And uh, it's just generally good, solid value considering that it's free. We promise never to spam you, sell the list, or otherwise use it to annoy you. Go to homestories.la, look for the link that says mailing list, click on that sucker, and sign up. And thanks. In L.A., it was all about celebrities. So the first celebrity I saw out of context was Ursula Andress in the post office, hit her kid. She was screaming at him in some ickety-bick, 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 I don't know what language she spoke, and then slap, and then And I thought, well, that's okay, good. Now I'm in L.A. This is Home, Stories from L.A. I'm Bill Barol. When does one place become home and another stop? How does that happen? That's one of the questions I've asked a lot since I've been doing this podcast. For one comedy writer, it happened in stages. First, she got to feel at home in Los Angeles, in the city itself. But that switch that gets thrown, where you look around at the four walls and you think, this is my place, this house, this apartment, this is my home, that didn't happen right away. It took a few turns, a few different addresses, a run-in or two with Betty Davis, and then it took a house. And finally, crucially, the difference between one chair and two. My name is Janice Hirsch. I am the world's oldest living female sitcom writer. Janice was in college when she fell in love with the new humor magazine, The National Lampoon. She remembers an ad in the magazine, sell subscriptions to The Lampoon on your campus. So she did. Her recollection is that she sold two, and one of those was to herself. But look, sometimes careers turn on less, right? So she's out of college. She has a friend in New York who's working on the National Lampoon stage show, Lemmings. Get out of your attention, please. Get out of your attention. All right, now listen. There's still some people coming in. So for the benefit of you people who just paid to get in, from now on, the Woodshuck Festival of Peace, Love, and Death is a free concert! All right, a free concert! Okay, now we all know why we came here. A million of us. We came here to off ourselves. Janice's friend, knowing how much she loves the Lampoon, says... Come to New York and do group sales for Lemmings. And in five months, I believe I made $60. Cause it was commission. And it was hard to sell a group to go see a show about the Woodshuck Festival of Peace, Love and Death. And then I stayed on and I kept going to the Lampoon office when Lemmings closed. And then I wrote a memo to the chairman of the board and said, it's ridiculous that you have me come in every day and you're not paying me. I have so many skills. 
I could, I could do your publicity, I could coordinate projects, there's so many things. It's ridiculous that you're not paying me. And he went, okay. And that's how I started working at the National Lampoon. Janice did a little of everything at the Lampoon. She organized the writers, arranged speaking gigs on college campuses, syndicated the National Lampoon radio hour to local stations. Her basic strategy, she says, was to say yes to everything the publisher, Maddie Simmons, asked her to do. One day word got around that Doug Kenny, the doomed genius who co-founded the magazine, was working on a high school yearbook parody. And I really want to work on that. And so I went to Doug and asked him, and he said, well, you know, every high school has a handicapped girl, and since uh, you have crutches, can we use them? And I said, well, you know, I use crutches because I had polio, and, and so I come with them. So if you want, yes, you can use my crutches, but I have to be the one standing in them. So I played uh, Ursula Waterski, a, a girl in the high school yearbook, who I believe the caption under my picture is, Until I Met a Man with No Feet. Los Angeles. As a place, a locale, a thing in the culture. Janice says it wasn't much on her radar at the time. I don't remember any conversation about Los Angeles when I was at the Lampoon, but of course I was not in the editor's inner circle. I was in the ladies' room with the other three women getting high and crying. But um, the only time Los Angeles came up is John Belushi needed $330 to buy a plane ticket to audition for Animal House. And I was the only person he knew with a savings account. So I lent him the money. So that, but that was, I'm telling you, the only, I had never, I think I'd been to LA once or twice, maybe. Belushi got there, of course, did the audition, got the part, made the movie. You know the rest. It was March of 1982 when he died. I was on vacation, so I called around to find out where the funeral was going to be. And one of the people I called was Ann Beats, and I left her a message on her answering machine. Writer Ann Beats had been one of the very few other women at the Lampoon. And then I found out where it was and took care of that and forgot all about my call to Ann. So that was in March. And then one day in June, my phone rang at like 2 or 3 in the morning. I'm dead asleep. And it was Ann. And it sounded like she was in a crowded place. Um, like a bar or something, and she was very jovial, and she said, oh, John's funeral was three months ago, ha, 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 and I said, yeah, I, I, I went, what, where were you? And she said, oh, I was in California, I, uh, made a TV show, and a pilot, and it just got picked up. The show was Square Pegs. So, uh, since you, you do publicity, which was my job at the time, um, why don't you come and be my publicist? And because I had worked for six weeks on a show with Tony Randall called Love, Sydney, I said, no, I'm not a publicist anymore. I'm a writer. And she said, oh, well, then do you want to come and be a writer? And I went, yeah. 
And she said, okay, oh, okay, I gotta go, bye, I'll talk, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I, that's how I got my job. I had to get into a place to live and I found an apartment. It was called Blue Jay Way, I always called it Blowjob Way. It was such a horrible place. But it was very close to Universal where Square Pegs was gonna be shot. And the return address was even Universal City, which I thought was very glamorous. So I got this apartment, and then I rented furniture. And I think all I rented, I rented a TV, I rented a VCR, and I, I think I rented maybe a sofa and a chair. That's what I had in my place. And it was horrible, and the guy whose parking spot was next to mine, his license plate was King Toot. And, oh, and, and then cats used to come and just spray. You just see a cat's butt against your screen, and before you could get to it, it you just had that all over you. But it was close to Universal, and that's where I had to go. L.A., she decided quickly, was very strange. I couldn't believe how suburban Los Angeles was. Now, I wasn't a, a, a fancy, glamorous New Yorker by any stretch of the imagination, but people in Los Angeles dressed like slobs, and they were just doing er errands at what my mother used to call shopping centers. They weren't mini malls yet, and they weren't big malls. They were just shopping centers. And I thought, this is so weird. She lived in Universal City for less than a year, and then she moved to an apartment in Beverly Hills. She didn't know much about it as a place to live. I knew that I lived there, and that made my mother really happy. Although Universal City, the sound of it, made her happy till she saw it. Um, but what I discovered is, especially in my apartment at 345 South Elm Drive, was... I had, it was very, very noisy. I lived, there were lots of alleys, and that's why in all the, in all the cop movies that are supposed to be set in New York, they're always running down an alley. Because in Beverly Hills, they're all alleys. There are no alleys in New York. But Cagney and Lacey were always running down an alley. Police was all, everybody was always in an alley. So there she was in Beverly Hills. In the flats, she's quick to point out. 90211, not 90210. And somehow, that was the place she was living when that mysterious, life-changing thing happened, and while she wasn't paying attention, Los Angeles became her home. It took her leaving town, though, to realize it. After Square Pegs, I, I, I got a deal with what was then called Embassy Pictures, which was Norman Lear's company, and I did a pilot with Norman, and I worked on a show called Double Trouble. But I would still go back to New York and visit friends and go back and go to the theater, and then once when I was visiting friends in New York, because my apartment was sublet, I couldn't get into that, and I was sleeping on somebody's floor, and I just said, oh, uh, I gotta get home soon. I went, oh, LA's my home. I got on the plane, I came back to LA, I was working on Double Trouble, I said to my assistant, who had a friend who did real estate in New York, can your friend sell my apartment? It was a condo. I had bought it as a condo. In three days, he sold it. Ah, the days. And I didn't. And then I asked my mother to go in and 
clear it out and I'd forgotten that I had glued the couch to the floor because it was sectional, it kept slipping. So I got super glue, so she was a little annoyed with me about that. But that was it. I didn't live in New York anymore. She kept exploring, trying to get a grip on the place. L.A. is so sprawling. I remember the first time, when I was first out here, I was going to visit a friend of mine who was doing The Tonight Show. Annie Potts was doing The Tonight Show. And I went out to hang with her. It was very cool. And then I tried to come back across the hill. I was living in, in Beverly Hills, adjacent. And I kept saying, go to the mountains. But there's two mountain ranges. When you're in the valley, there's mountains behind you and in front of you. And I was so lost. I used to keep, they used to have this box of Kleenex called Man Size Kleenex. It, it was a box of Kleenex. It was as big as carry-on luggage. And I always kept that on the passenger seat because I would invariably get lost. We used to have to use the Thomas Guide. And I know how to read a map, but oh my God, did I get lost. But I would go everywhere. If someone invited me to someplace and I, I, I really tried to explore, you know, I really tried to learn it. But, I, it, well, it's that great, my, uh, when I, I moved from Beverly Hills into a, a, a great apartment called the Colonial House, in Hollywood, and my upstairs neighbor was Betty Davis, and there's that great Betty Davis line, the secret of, what's your secret of success in Hollywood? And she said, take Fountain. Yes, Janice's upstairs neighbor was, for a time, Betty Davis. Let's pause here for one anecdote, which honestly has nothing to do with our story, but which is just too good to cut. Oh, the best Betty Davis was, I was in the pool. And I think Jamie Lee Curtis was down in the pool and Tom Fontana, the wonderful, wonderful writer, was in the pool and or around it. We, it, was a, it was a great group. And Betty Davis had this balcony. And Betty's caretaker, secretary, whatever, was also down at the pool. And out comes the kabuki Betty Davis. I mean, she was completely in whiteface and she had pin curls and she was wearing a house dress, and she had a cigarette, obviously. And she came out, and she was holding onto the balcony, and she shouted down, Kath, you have a phone call. His name is Christopher. <laughs> and she began to cough and gag and swoon, and I thought, we all thought, she's gonna take a header. She's going right into that courtyard. But then, no, she just toddled back to her apartment. I always loved, I didn't love blowjob way, but it, and I liked my apartment in Beverly Hills, but I loved my condo where Betty Davis was my neighbor. I loved it. Crown moldings, high ceilings. It was just the nicest group of people, open, I remember Oscars, people would just drift in and suddenly it, Chris Guest was doing the Debbie Allen dancers in my living room. It was hilarious and great. But in 1990, Janice moved one more time to a house in 90210. And when I got this house, I had saved for 20 years so I could afford a house and not have to sell all my clothes. And we 
tore it all apart and put it all back together again. And, and the decorators one day wanted to show me a chair for the bedroom. And I said, a chair? And they said, yeah, you'll have the, the bed is here and the armoire with the television is here and here's your chair. And I went, I, I can't have one chair one chair is the saddest thing in the world in a bedroom. Really? This is how I'm going to end my life? This is it? This is... And I loved that I was a single woman who could buy a house and have her own office and have a guest room. I loved it. And I wanted to get a house because I wanted to get a house, but I also wanted to have dogs. And this was the only way I could because I can't walk them. So fence in the yard, dogs, doggy door, everything's great. But the one chair just... I think I might have started to cry when they when they showed me one chair, and they went, "Okay, okay." And I wasn't dating anybody, and they said, "Okay, okay, we'll 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 get two chairs." And I went, "Thank you." And it calmed me down, and maybe there was a little of if you build it, he will come. You know, if you put a chair for him, he'll come. And soon after, Larry and I got together. Janice had woken up one day on the other side of the country to realize that Los Angeles, against all odds had become her home. She'd embraced it. She'd learned to navigate it. And now, there she was, settled in Beverly Hills with the man who would become the father of her son, Charlie, and eventually, her husband. It had been a long road to get where she was. But she wasn't yet where she was going. Not quite. Not yet. My 20s, I was in New York and doing all that stuff and, and figuring out, working in the theater and magazines and then in publishing and then in, in publicity. And then the 30, and then my 30s was about my television career. And, and, and it went really, really well. And I was very successful and very lucky and very happy. And then at 40, I turned around and went, huh, what am I missing? But I thought, I'll get a house, and then everything will fall into place. And it's funny, because I, when I bought the house, and then I, I had known Larry for a long time. I used to work for his mother. I used to stay in his old bedroom at his house. When I'd come out to do publicity with his mom, and his family was always very welcoming to me because they knew I was alone out here and so on holidays and Larry was married at the time and I knew his twins. I went to their first birthday party. I knew it all and so when Larry and I got together, suddenly I had the house, I had my man, and I had twins on the weekend. So, and then I got pregnant with Charlie. So my office then became Charlie's room. The guest room, suddenly had two pull-out beds in it, boy-girl twins. The bedroom, the closet now was half Larry's, well, a third Larry's, but I pretended it was half. And I had my dogs. It was a house. It was my home. That should be the end of the story right there. But there's one more thing, a small detail. Maybe if you swing that way. It amounts to the universe telling Janice that she really had arrived, finally, where she needed to be. Larry and I have never been in those chairs. 
they are for the dogs. <laughs> I will show you the chairs <laughs> before you leave. You will see they, I keep putting new slip covers. They're ripped up. They have towels on them. So that's how I knew that this was my home because I had dog chairs. Ha, 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 ha.